Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different great varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. At the beginning of this month, I sat the Stage 2 exam for the Institute of Masters of Wine in my bid to become a Master of Wine myself, and I just thought I'd share my experience with you for those who are interested in becoming a Master of Wine at some point, or who are just intrigued by the experience of what it takes to become a Master of Wine, and also just to get it off my chest, because it was a four-day marathon and ordeal, which I've almost recovered from several weeks later. I don't find out the results until the end of November, so I have no idea if I passed or not. Overall, the pass rate is 10%, which gives you an idea of just how difficult the exam is. And so this is one of the few exams I've got into with the the pragmatic realisation that I may not actually pass it. But at the same time, I feel like I did okay. Whether it was enough to get the 65% mark that I need to pass is another question. But I feel that if I do have to take it again, this has given me a strong foundation to know exactly how to pass it. But we shall see. So what is the the Institute of Masters of Wine? Well, it was created in the 1950s, and this is after the Second World War. And the idea was to promote um, the wine industry across the world by um, having people who have proven their authority on wine so that they can share their knowledge and educate and teach and really give a strong foundation to the wine industry. Because after the Second World War, the wine industry was in a, a pretty weak place in many ways and for very apparent reasons. And this is also partly the reason why the WSET, whom I teach for quite regularly, was created in the late 1960s to really give a a foundational support to the wine industry so that people can spread their knowledge and really um, give an educational but also scholarly foundation to wine sales and wine service and wine making. The Institute of Masters of Wine is distinct from the WSET. I think there is a, a widespread feel that you do the WSET courses up to diploma, and then you do the Masters of Wine, which is kind of true, but they are very separate institutions and very separate approaches to um, proving your knowledge about wine. So the WSET is um, a school where you are given specific information about wine, which you are then tested on in exams. Whereas the Institute of Masters of Wine is an organisation which you are basically applying to get into by proving your knowledge of wine. And there is no set information that you're required to know. It is that you sit down, take the exam and prove everything you know about wine. And so one perhaps misconception about the uh, Masters of Wine is that when you start taking it, you're going to be taught about wine. You're not. You've already developed that knowledge through taking WCT courses or by doing a wine business degree or a wine making degree or having the equivalent qualification, for example, through the uh, Court of Master Sommeliers. So you already go in, in theory, with the knowledge and the information about wine, but then you have to learn how to apply it in a way that proves you are a master of wine, that you are the ultimate authority on wine and can answer pretty much any question about wine. So if you are thinking about becoming an MW student or candidate, be aware that it is almost completely a self-study programme, where the information that you have collated, you are applying in your own way to answer the questions. A lot of MW candidates, and I think candidate is the key word here because you're not so much a student as in you're not being taught, you're a candidate applying to become a member of the Institute. A lot of those candidates feel that they have to, um, there is a set way to become a Master of Wine, a set way to pass the exams. And then they complain that 
They'll listen to M one MW who says this is how you pass the exam and become an MW, and then another MW says something completely different, and then another MW says something else as well. And it feels inconsistent. But that's because, in my view, passing this exam is demonstrating your own authority and it's using your own language and it's using your own methodology. And it is about you as an individual proving that you are an authority on wine. And there are many, many different ways of doing that. And so a winemaker taking this exam is going to have a different approach to me, which is works because I am in wine education, but I'm also in wine business. And so that's very two very different angles. And both are equally valid and equally important, of course. I'm going to approach questions in different ways. And also I have a background in English literature. The way I write is um, grounded in how I was taught at school and at university and how I studied for my PhD in English literature, whereas a winemaker is much more about how they learnt about winemaking at university, but also um, in practice as well. So just different approaches. And I think you have to embrace that and so that everyone has a different um, angle and different way of answering and all equally valid if they are, of course, of the highest quality. So how do you enter the MW program? Well, as I mentioned, you have to have the WCT diploma or a winemaking degree or a wine business degree or something of equi equivalent level. You also have to have experience in the wine industry and a reference from someone who's been in the wine industry for at least 15 years or who is an MW already. So demonstrating that your position in the wine industry and that you are ready to t undertake this kind of vast qualification. And you also have to write a, I think it's a 250 word appraisal of why you should be considered for the, the course, for the institute, and how you would contribute to the wine world. And I think this is another misconception of the MW program is that it is a gateway to success in the wine industry. In essence, you should already have had some kind of success. You've built up a level of knowledge, but also a level of um, maybe influence or involvement in the wine world. And your referee, as well as your proposal, will um, confirm that. If that application is accepted, then there's an entrance exam. And this entrance exam, you're asked to find four different wines, uh, specific styles of wine. And so, for example, it could be two different Pinot Gris or um, a Sherry and a Madeira, for example. And then you will do the, the you'll do the exam, the entrance exam online, and um, answer the questions about the wine. So it's kind of a semi-dry tasting in, in the sense that you might not actually have access to those wines but can still write a thorough tasting note, but it's more about how you can, you're demonstrating your ability to appraise a wine, to describe a wine, to analyze a wine, and to explain what that position of the wine is in the market, and also to be able to prove that you can demonstrate the quality of a wine, that you know the difference between a $10 wine and a $50 wine, for example. And then there's one theory question. I was quite fortunate when I did the entrance exam that the exam that one of the questions was on um, closures. I think there's a choice of three questions that you have for the entrance exam. And because I'd just been to uh, Portugal about a month before, in order to learn about cork, I actually knew quite a lot about closures. It was fresh on my mind. And so we have 90 minutes to answer that question. And you only need to answer one. And then a couple of months later, they inform you whether you have been entered into the program or not. 
Once you're in the programme, there's a minimum of three years before you can actually be awarded the Master of Wine uh, classification. And there are three stages to take. So the entrance exam is around June or July, and then stage one exam is the next June, all being well. The COVID pandemic has affected a lot of these exam dates and how to take the exam. But in theory, all the exams are each June. During that year, there are course days, which are um, optional. Um, again, I've been fortunate that I live in California and that many of these courses are actually take place in California as well as other places in the world, such as Bordeaux or Rust in Austria or uh, London or Adelaide, for example. There is the option to travel to these places to take these courses or, or to do them locally if you are so able. I actually didn't do that many of the course days, I have to admit, but the first one was really important and this was um, October, beginning of the academic year, as it were, where we learned about what exactly the MWE program entails in terms of the tastings and also in terms of the theory approach. And then there are obligatory uh, course weeks. So um, and these are around about um, January. And again, these take place in different places in the world. And these are five really intense days of studying and blind tastings and really immersing yourself in the program and these are really important not as well as well as being obligatory and um, back in the day that none of these course days or course weeks existed because it was just a case of you had to turn up to the exam basically and prove your knowledge but now and pass rate was only about five percent but now that these course days and course weeks have been introduced there's much more education on how to approach the exam so these course days and weeks don't teach you about wine. You're expected to already know that or to be learning it on your own, but they do really help you give an, an idea of the structure of the exam, how you're supposed to approach it, and the kind of information you're supposed to be giving, and um, which is why the pass rate is now 10% instead of 5%. I think a lot of students go into the exam knowing what kind of information they're supposed to be um, projecting, which d doesn't make the exam easier, but it does make it more viable. So my first course week was in Woodenville in Washington, which was a lot of fun and you get to meet a lot of interesting people. And then the stage one exam was in San Francisco in 2019, which seems about 10 years ago now, but it's not that long ago. For that stage one exam, you have 12 wines blind, and this is a mixed bag. So for example, my first flight was three sparkling wines, one was a sparkling Shiraz, one was a wine from Tasmania, and the other was a sparkling mus pink sparkling Moscato, which wasn't particularly pleasant. And then there were some Rieslings, and then there were four wines which were from grape varieties associated with Bordeaux, so Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec, Carmenere, and then there were two sweet-slash-fortified wines. And so this is an example um, those two wines were Tokai and I think Banyuls, so Vandu Naturel from Roussillon. I said they were Sauterne and Port, and the question was the two wines were from two different countries. And so I was wrong. But at the same time, I did end up getting the highest mark in North America for stage one students, which I was quite surprised by, but also quite proud of. And it is about how you explain and justify your answers. And this is something I really 
try to drum into WST diploma students that it's the explanation, it's the justification, it's the demonstration of your understanding, even if you're not 100% right. And that's true for both tasting and for theory. Going into the stage two exam, some wines I absolutely got right and other wines I got absolutely wrong, but hopefully my explanation and demonstration of my understanding for all those wines was consistently sound and solid to get me the marks to pass the exam. Again, we shall see. And then for stage one exam as well, besides the tasting, there's theory in the afternoon and you have two questions to answer. One of them is compulsory and then you have a choice of uh, two or three other questions to make up your second answer. Um, so just for example, my question was, my compulsory question was, can Cabernet Sauvignon and Riesling be grown in the same location? And then the question I chose um, from the second kind of section where you have a choice was, um, have supermarkets been beneficial to the mainstream consumer? So going from what's vineyard and viticulture to the business of wine, giving an idea of the, the breadth of questions that might be asked. For that stage one exam, what I found is that a lot of the questions have been asked in previous papers. And so if you are going towards your stage one, looking at past papers is very useful because I had actually answered as practice for my own purposes the Cabernet Sauvignon Riesling question. So I had all the ideas in my head already because I'd already answered that question. I hadn't answered the supermarket question because I kind of avoided uh, tackling it, but I had noted that it had been asked before. And because I hadn't answered it before, I found it a little more difficult. But still, again, this goes to WCC Diploma as well, answering past questions is a really, really good way of approaching exam, because even if they're not directly repeated, a lot of these themes come up again and again, because there's only so many questions you can ask about wine over the course of a 10-year period. In terms of um, passing the stage one exam, there are kind of three different levels. One is a, a fail in which you are asked not to come back, basically, for another two years. Another is that you failed but were nearly good enough so you're gonna have to repeat it next year and the other is a, a straight pass in, in which you go into stage two so stage two again the exam will be a year after i mentioned how i've been fortunate in, in many ways but my stage two exam was supposed to be last june and it was cancelled because of the pandemic and then it was supposed to be this june and it was postponed until the end of august beginning of september that gave me extra time to prepare for the exam, but it was also a bit frustrating and demotivating when you just think, well, the exam is next year and it might not even happen then. But um, it happened, we got there. But in theory, it should be a year after the stage one, although you can defer. And the stage two exam is the big one because it's four days long. There are three flights of 12 blind wines. The first flight is 12 white wines. The second flight is 12 red wines. And the third flight is the mixed bag, similar to the stage one exam. So sparkling, fortified, sweet, and maybe some rosé as well, possibly. And this is exhausting. So flight one is the first day. Flight two is the morning of the second day. Flight three is the, the, the morning of the third day. But then you also have the theory. The, the afternoon of the first day, there's the uh, viticulture questions. In the afternoon of the second day, there's the winemaking questions. In the afternoon of the third day, there is the most boring paper, which is packaging and bottling and just kind of what happens once the wine is in the bottle about quality control and quality assurance, which is extremely important, but I'm not convinced it needs its own paper. And then on the final day, it's all theory. So in the morning, it's about the business of wine. 
and then in the afternoon it is the um, kind of about social opinions about opinions about wine wine culture um, social issues more of um, opinion-based papers which is and that last day those questions are the ones i'm most comfortable with but also you're absolutely so exhausted that it's really hard to get through six hours of answering theory questions so um with each paper the theory question should take about an hour so for papers one and two there are three hours to answer three questions for paper three there's two hours to answer two questions then for paper four there's three hours to answer three questions as well Paper five, a bit different, there's two. There's three hours to answer two questions. So you have about 90 minutes per answer. For the tasting, there's two hours, 15 minutes to taste the 12 wines, which in essence is 11 minutes per wine. How to approach that? We'll have different approaches, but to try and analyze each wine within about 24 minutes. So the, the appearance, the nose, the palate, the quality, and what the wine might actually be whilst kind of having an observation of what the question is to help you. I think some candidates don't look at the question until they've finished analyzing the wine, but I personally prefer to look at the question so that I have an idea of what I'm thinking about, but there are different approaches to doing that. But after about 24 minutes, and it really is as literal as that, that you just start writing. And that is the hardest thing to start writing. So how to have an approach to that, um, my it really depends on my, my level of comfort in what I think the wines might be. If I have no idea, then I go straight into quality. If I do have an idea, then that might be the flight that I start with, or the set of wines that I start with, where I think I know I'm very comfortable with these, I can get straight into them. But at the same time, it might be a good idea to start with the wines that you're not comfortable with to get them out of the way. Or you can just kind of flit from flight to flight to... Um, get the quality down, to get the things you're comfortable with in each flight down, and then re-engage with each flight, which you're a bit less comfortable with. But this is all about exam technique, and everyone has different techniques. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning. Anyone who takes this exam, and anyone who passes this exam, and also anyone who doesn't pass this exam because it's really hard, they have to have their own approach. There isn't something to mimic, to copycat. Of course, you can learn from other students and learn from MWs, but it's about the students. It's about you having an approach that fits your style. And so how you approach the tasting is really up to you. And that's where practicing the blind tastings is obviously very helpful, because not only does that teach you about different styles of wine, it teaches you about how you are going to approach and answer the questions. So going into the stage two exam, me and some friends and some who are at different stages of the MW candidacy, we were just tasting small flights of like three or four wines to really focus. And also because it does take time to practice a whole um, whole flight of 12 wines. But then once we got into August and in the four weeks leading up to the exam, we did a flight one, a flight two and a flight three to really get us into the groove. There was another tasting group in Napa which did that every week and has been doing that for years of tasting 12 wines every week. I just find that exhausting and not actually that helpful because although it's good for exam technique, it feels more exhausting than it does productive. I think I like the idea of just focusing on individual flights of three or four wines to get you into the practice of tasting wine. But then I taste wine all the time. So maybe because, because I sell wine and maybe I just don't need to taste another 12 wines on a Sunday morning. So everyone 
is different in that approaches. And then I don't think there is a 100% right way and I don't think there's a 100% wrong way. It's about finding out what suits you. And I think that's the same for any exam. And then if you are fortunate enough to pass stage two exam, and as I said, I'll find out at the end of November, there is a stage three, which is a, which is a research paper of your own choosing. And before you take the stage two exam, you have to submit a proposal for the research paper to prove that you're prepared and you have ideas. But of course, that research paper may change subtly or even completely, but you've proven that you're able to come up with a proposal. So my proposal is um, the Renaissance of Carignan in California. And I have, there is another episode on this podcast all about Carignan. I think it's a fascinating grape variety uh, from a commercial perspective, as well as from a grape growing perspective. Back in the early 70s, and I'm not going to go off on a huge tangent here, but back in the early 70s, Carignan is the most planted grape variety in California. And those plantings go back all the way to the 19th century. And the same thing was true in France as well. But Carignan doesn't produce the highest quality wines consistently because it has very high yields. But now old vine Carignan, there's not much of it. It's about 1,300 hectares in California. But it produces really um, high quality wine. And a lot of producers are actually, especially young producers, up and coming producers have been looking to Carignan to produce wines which really suit California's Mediterranean climate. In the two years since I wrote that proposal, Carignan has gone from being very niche to being there's not actually enough Carignan available because so many producers are looking for it. So that research proposal uh, does change uh, just by time and by nature. So what was the exam actually like? As I said, it was stressful. It was exhausting. It seemed like it was never ending. It is a marathon. I think when I was 17, 18 and doing my um, A-levels back in the UK, four days of exams wasn't really an issue, but now I'm in my mid-40s, it's I'm not as mentally and phys- almost physically prepared for that um, endurance test that is the exam. But I got through it. And one thing is that I am British, and I went through the British education system all the way through from five years old to doing a PhD. For non-British people, the MW programme can be a bit confusing or a bit of um, a readjustment for me, it's just like, yeah, this is the British education system. And it seemed quite straightforward in what they were asking of us. That doesn't mean it's easy, or it doesn't mean that I have an advantage because I still have to apply all my knowledge, but it is structured in a way which is very familiar to anyone who has um, gone through the British education system. And that is um, definitely true of the um, theory where the MWs really emphasize examples. As with the British university system, you're really asked to demonstrate your own individual knowledge of the subject, as I already mentioned, and that's really integral to the British university system, which I don't think is true of other university systems. So there may be that readjustment there. And then MWs place a big emphasis on examples, which is simply demonstrating your knowledge. And so you say, this is true, and then you say, because. And it gets a bit frustrating when MWs go on and on about examples because what some MWs have done is like collate lots and lots of examples, which makes it seem a bit more complicated than it is. But it's been able to reference wine regions, uh, producers, grape varieties, styles of wine, yeast strains, different bacteria, different faults, different packaging techniques from all around the world. 
And so what you're demonstrating is your overall global knowledge of the world of wine. And how you do this is up to the student. There's different ways of doing it, but it's over, the overall um, emphasis on, is on examples. Have an example to explain everything that you say, which I think is how any essay or argument should be structured. You should always have something to back up what you are saying, but it must be relevant and I think it should be concise as well, rather than just throwing in lots and lots of examples without really explaining uh, why they're important. So it's all about that context. So as for the exam itself, just to quickly run through some of the wines that we tried. Paper one, all whites. Uh, the first four wines were from the same country. And the first wine was Van Jean. I was like, why is there a sherry on this flight? It's not supposed to be there. And then I was like, oh, it must be a Van Jean. And that was a huge clue as to which country it could be because not many wines are made in that style. We had a Van Jean, we had a Corton Chalmagne from Burgundy, a Cote de Rhone Village Blanc and a um, Pinot Gris. And I got the Van Jean. I got the Burgundy though. I didn't think it was quite as high quality as a Grand Cru, but then I have an issue with Grand Cru Burgundy because it's too much oak and I don't actually like those wines as much as I should, arguably. Um, I said the Cote de Rhone Village was Chateauneuf de Pape, so I'm quite happy with that. And the Pinot Gris I said was Viognier, aromatic, but with not particularly high acidity. The second flight I messed up a little bit. And the, my, the bane of this flight for me was Pinot Gris, because I said these three wines were Pinot Gris, whereas I said the Pinot Gris was Viognier, and these were Chenin Blanc. And I usually get Chenin Blanc, but I thought about it and I said, mm, they're not quite that waxy character that I get with Chenin Blanc. There was a Chenin Blanc from Anjou, Savanier, and from South Africa, and the Savanier was quite an old one, it's from 07, and um, it was quite noticeably old. So hopefully, again, my descriptions and my analysis was accurate enough, even if I got the great variety wrong. And then a couple of readings from Austria, which I said were from Germany. Oops. And then a Moscato, a Chardonnay, and Pinot Gris, again, from uh, California and from Oregon. And I just went a bit rogue on that one and said Argentina. I said Torrentes, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. So again, we'll see if my analysis was accurate enough. And then for the reds, we had three wines from the same region and producer from a different vintage, which immediately means it's gonna be Bordeaux or Burgundy, I think, just from an exam technique perspective. And it's pretty clear the differences between those two regions, and it was Bordeaux. And then we had three wines from a different single grape variety and from a different continent, which is quite interesting. The first one was Pinot Noir, and I said, uh, Russian River Valley, but it's Sonoma Coast. It had that distinct cola element. And then the second one was actually from Barbaresco, where I said Barolo, so I feel like I'm pretty close there. And the third one was Grenache by Darenberg from McLaren Vale, and I have absolutely no idea what I answered for that one. And then we had two wines from the Americas from different grape varieties, and they were um, Petite Syrah and Carmenere. I feel like I said Carmenere, but again, I can't guarantee that I did. And for Petit Sira, I said, I actually said Tanat from Uruguay. It was, it was a pretty cheap, it's from Bogle Vineyards, and it was very full and fruity and, and full on. Question four, really weird phrasing, but they do this quite often. Wines nine to 10 and wines 11 to 12 are two pairs. Each pair is from a different region of origin. I don't know why they just couldn't answer, ask this in two different questions, because the, the two wine, the four wines have nothing, or the two pairs have nothing in common. 
Um, so we had a Chateauneuf de Pape and a Cote de Rhone. And I I went with Montalcino, a Rosso de Montalcino and um, a Brunello. And then the last two wines were Rioja and uh, Crianza and a Gran Reserva. The last one was noticeably um, older. And I went with Valpolicella. I was just convinced that wine's from Italy. That is a common mistake that I make all the time, thinking that Spanish wine is Italian. But again, I don't think I was too off in the overall style and quality of those wines. And then finally, the paper three. First three were sparkling wines. I was very happy with this because I actually nailed one of the producers. The first one was um, Champagne, Moeti Chandon Imperial. And then the second one was Paul Roger 2012. And then the third one is Ritter Estate from here in California. And I knew 100% that how that wine had to be Ritter Estate. And it was. So I was pretty happy with my answers on that one. And then the most difficult flights are the ones which have four or five wines. And the second flight had five, all made using different methods of production. So there was an Amarone, which I called a Ricciotto. So I was like, why not? Then there was a Brichetto d'Aqui, which I called Lambrusco. And then there was a vintage port, there was a Maurice, and there was um, Rutherglen Muscat. Now, I can't remember. I know that I called one a Maori slash Banyols and the other a vintage port, but I can't remember which way around I put them, so we'll see. And then um, the Rutherglen I actually called a, a Topeque, which is made from Muscadels. I felt, why not? Again, but I got the region right and the style. And then this is where I miss, messed up a little bit and I'm embarrassed to admit it because I love Sherry so much. There's an Oloroso, which um, I more or less got. I kind of hedged my bets whether it was Amontillado or Oloroso, but it was an Oloroso. And then um, a sweet Oloroso, uh, Methuselah by Gonzalez Bias, which I have to say I really didn't like, even though I would have gone into the exam thinking it's one of my favorite sherries. It was just so, so rich. So I thought... I got it, it was a sweet sherry, but I thought it was lower quality when it actually cost about $50. And then finally, two wines which were Madeira. Um, a three-year-old Madeira from Enriquez and Enriquez, and a, a 2000 single harvest Boal, also from Enriquez and Enriquez. So actually the same producer. And that was a little bit confusing because I got they were both sweet, but the different quality levels are quite hard to distinguish. It's actually quite interesting. So don't taste that much inexpensive Madeira. So hopefully I did okay on the tasting. Again, not sure how much if I did enough to pass, but we'll see. And then just quickly on some of the questions in the theory papers. Establishing a vineyard in a marginal climate. I also answered a question on hybrids, because my wife is currently working with New York State wines. And I also have a friend who's from Canada. You should listen to the episode on Nova Scotia with her. And then kind of bring in Madeira into hybrids as well. So I found that in question quite interesting. And then is there an ideal terroir for the production of sparkling wines? Which I also thought, also thought was an interesting question. Because when we think of champagne, maybe we don't think of uh, terroir as much as we should. And then also thinking about Prosecco as well. Uh, paper two, which is the winemaking. What options are available to control finer sugar levels in wine? So I think it's a lot, a range of different options in answering that question. Um, to what extent are winemaking interventions desirable in a small-scale scale winery producing high-quality dry, dry red wine? Uh, that's a pretty boring question. I think I did okay at best. And then the last question, I don't know why I answered this one. 
because I think it's actually quite stupid. What handling procedures could a winemaker implement to make mid-price still wine from each of the following? English Chardonnay with a potential alcohol of 8%, pH of 2.8, and total acidity of 14.5. And Barossa Valley Grenache, potential alcohol 16.5, pH 4.2, total acidity 3.9. So basically the exact opposite uh, of these wines. And English Chardonnay, I just couldn't help include that just distill it. Just make it into gin or brandy. But I shouldn't have said that, but I just couldn't help it because this wine sounds absolutely disgusting. And the Grenache, I would make into fortified wine, but I did not say that, which is good on my part. Particular question, I'm 100% sure I did not get a pass mark. Then paper three is the packaging one, which is quite, which actually was most nervous about because it is not that exciting and it's really hard to find plenty of examples from around the world which really show the variety of packaging options. But you're responsible for quality assurance and quality control for an importer of bulk wine. Explain the procedures that you'll need uh, between the completion of winemaking and the bulk transport process and what happens when you receive it. Again, not an exciting question, but it is one that a lot of people actually have to do deal with in real life. And then the last question, a winery has received a customer complaint for it a piece of glass found in a bottle. Describe the procedures best employed by the winery to investigate the issue. Um, a fellow student of mine just said he would give them the finger. And uh, my wife said something similar, but a bit ruder. But this is again, exam technique, exam structure, just going through all the different things that uh, would have to be done if that did happen. Paper four, the business of wine, Bordeaux, Discussing the commercial viability of on primeur, pros and cons for all parties from producer through to consumer. I think that's a pretty standard question. Outline key changes in consumer taste preferences over the last decade. Which wine producing regions have evolved that offer successfully to match these changes? I think there's a lot of things, quite straightforward things to say about that. And identify and assess the financial considerations when planning an investment in planting a vineyard and building a winery which I'm pretty sure is a question that's been asked many, many times. And then paper five, contemporary issues. Uh, wine is celebrated for its diversity of styles. Is this diversity under threat? Which I thought, interesting use of the word diversity in the current global climate. Um, maybe would have cho chosen another word, not such as range. But um, my answer was, there's a lot of homogeneity in wine. A lot of wines taste the same, but then you do have sherry, port, Madeira, champagne, Prosecco, young wine, older wine, Van du Naturel, dry wine, sweet wine, rosé. There's lots and lots of different styles of wine out there, and I think that is still um, relevant. And then finally, to what extent is France's wine classification system a model for the rest of the world? Which I, I really fascinated by classification systems, so that was my kind of question. Um, so there are lots of other questions that I could have answered as well, which I won't go through, but that's what I did. As I said, this is more me getting it off my chest now that the dust has settled and the exam is a few weeks old. I still haven't found out um, how I did. Hopefully that gives you an idea of what the MW programme involves. If you're thinking about it or you're just kind of interested in what uh, MWs have to do to, in order to become an MW. But I do have uh, quite a few diploma students who are intrigued by the idea. So that's kind of my experience and the, uh, the process of um, what it takes. And however I did in the exam, I did complete it and I feel quite proud to have done so. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew 
And this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink. Thank you.